getting here? Well, I told you we're remodeling closets. I knew this was going to happen eventually, but not so soon. Come on, it's a new year, time to start over. Plus, we need more room for all your nasty construction boots. Uh, you mean stiletto heels? Whatever, they take up a lot of space, Imelda. So what's the difference between this year's closet and last year's closet? Well, um, we're going to have more student voice, regular guest editorials. What about the music? And oh, Investigative reporting. <laughs> Um, oh, the gossip. Yeah, that'll still be there. Oh, thank my rainbows. Great. Here, awesome. let's get started. Hand me a glue stick and the glitter. Welcome to Closets Are For Clothes. Oh, my God. Children They would work together. Hello, you're listening to Closet Stuff for Clothes on this very blustery day. Yes. The second, to the penultimate day of January. <laughs> wow. Yes. Holy moly. That's a, that's, a, that's a gold dollar word. It is. Penultimate. Yes. And where did we... Um, and. I don't know. Oh, okay. Um, so wow. here we are in our cozy studio and it's cold outside. That's right. And... Um, yeah. And you came in. I love the scarf. The scarf was like... It's a very... It's a puffy white scarf. It's like I shaved a Pomeranian. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And, yes. Um, it was It was very interesting. It's not a very well-made scarf, but it does the job. Mm-hmm. Seriously, it was cold this morning. Oh, absolutely. I could not believe it. I mean, I had all my stuff all bundled up. Uh-huh. I was ready to go. Got out of my car, shut the car door, like jumped back in the car, shut the car door. Well, apparently my boss was driving by as I was did this and she was like so you're about to call into work sick or something like this or whatever <laughs> and I was just like yes exactly nice. I was just like oh it was so cold so yeah my doors were frozen shut actually oh no I know yeah yeah so whatever Man. I'm a trooper so did you get the news just before we went on the air about I we got had another dropout. Yes, I am stunned. Uh, I am not. Oh, you're not. No. Okay. So, for those of you just joining us, or the world, we um, <laughs> John Edwards has has dropped out of the Democratic presidential race, and of course now you know like Hillary and Barack are both um, vying for his endorsement. Exactly. And you know, last night Rudy. Or today or last night, Rudy yep. dropped off as well. Right, right. Now, that so, one I wasn't surprised by. Yeah. But, I mean, I was surprised he didn't do better with all the ratings he had before all this started. Well, but, you know, they said the same thing about Fred Thompson, and he was sort of a flash in the pan. Who? Yeah, okay. exactly. Fred Thompson, he was running? <laughs> <laughs> the Law and Order. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he was just like, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I heard him, him make this great announcement, and then... Next thing I knew, he was residing. Right. I was like, "Where? Where was he running? Was he? I mean, what was so, his audience that he was going for?" So, so yeah. So well. Man. So here we go. And Super Tuesday is, is is coming up. I know. I'm so scared. Absolutely. Holy moly! This is going to be amazing. It will be amazing. Mm. Will be amazing. So what else? What else is going on? It's cold. There's no John Edwards. No Rudy. What what other? News well, I've been. You know, I have just had one bout after another of just not feeling good. So this week. I kind of just spent it in bed and um, unfortunately alone, but um, I was uh, in bed. And so I started watching, of course, when I feel sick, I start turning on, you know, the movies. And uh, so if I fall asleep, you know, I don't have to worry about the commercials or mm-hmm. I can just listen. And of course, I was listening to like Cocoon, you know, <gasps> just or, oh my God. And of course, I'm cr- I've got like this bad cold. I'm already full of snuffles, you know, kind of thing or whatever. And then, you know, they start telling the grandson that they're about to leave and 
Oh, I haven't seen the, the movie tears. in forever. So oh. they're aliens, right? Um, oh, I can't tell you. I don't want to give it away. Okay. If no, you haven't seen the movie, uh, cover your eyes. Cover your eyes. Right? And so they're aliens. Well, what happens is that the aliens come to Earth. And then it happened to the old people. And then they, what happens, they were rescuing, the aliens are rescuing their friends and taking them home. And they finally arrive back to Earth. They arrive, you know, trying to take them back home. Well, um, they they have these these powers, these rejuvenating powers, and the old people were feeling much more youthful and much more energetic and like, oh, this is what I was like when I was a teenager. And, uh-huh. and so they um, um, decided. So there was an issue that happened where the um, the word got out, and um, they almost killed all the people they were trying to rescue. And they were like, "Well, we can't really, um, we can't take them home with us. They'll never make the journey. We're gonna have to come back." Mm. Um, and so they helped them dump, you know, put them back in the ocean. And uh. and so, well, in favor for doing that, they were gonna. Why don't they have room? So why don't these 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 um, old folks old folks come with us <laughs> exactly and uh um and spend eternity with them and so they had to make the big decision whether to leave or not leave and it was a very interesting decision like would you Aww. if you had a, the choice of eternal life would you do it you know well if i was old and i'd done a bunch of stuff already maybe. well but if you have eternal life you have a whole lifetime to to accomplish stuff yeah but would i be in a spaceship oh no you wouldn't be no you you would be in a spaceship for the rest of your life it would be just you know, right, a, a, portion, well, a portion of the time. <laughs> I don't get it, therefore I don't like it. That's right. I was like, <laughs> oh, here we go. Exactly. <laughs> Holy moly. So so when I was watching those movies and, you know, things are all tear jerkers. And I was like, okay, this is not helping. I'm getting mm. more and more depressed and, you know, not being able to leave the house. And, you know. You cried out your cold. That's I okay. did. Absolutely. But I got, yeah, exactly. So friends of mine have had this, this, um, a little, um, um, Gross little whatever. I'm just like I'm trying to come a up bug. with this bug uh-huh. or whatever for you know about a week, but I got pretty much done within four to five days. So mm, well, good. Yeah. How about you? What have you been up to? So, creating change, creating change, creating change. What is creating, that? Change, creating change. Exactly creating, creating, right. Creating, yes. Creating. So no, it's really exciting. It's days away. Oh my gosh! In, less in, than a week. In, in less than a week. Oh my gosh! F- Fifteen, twenty-five hundred, almost more than wow. two thousand LGBTQ and ally activists from around the nation will descend upon the Motor City. Dun dun dun! And it will be fabulous. Wow! It will be fabulous. DeVos is, is just like panicking. That's you right. Know? That's right. He, he's getting his nails done, and he just couldn't. And stop exactly exactly <laughs> so so no it's it's gonna be great i'm really excited um the team is ready um the great. town is ready um my clothes are not clean oh. so oh. it's gonna be a problem exactly um, so um Man. but but that's what i've been doing and i've been i'm happy to do it and a shout out to my co-chairs curtis carrie and kate um and uh it's gonna happen and by the way so i was checking out the website kind uh-huh. of thing and they have you can download the conference um book. the book and things of what's going to be happening and i noticed that there's a, a letter from the four of you and uh-huh. all of you have signed it uh-huh. and you know what you have a pretty cool signature i, I love know. the little I'm swirl i'm very proud of my signature absolutely um and i have a story behind the signature the the little pigtail that's yes the exactly do you know this story have i told you so it's really <laughs> no, interesting I heard it. so i i happen to really like royalty and royal stuff oh which is, you know, why, really why i love your the bedazzler yes um 
<laughs> yes, exactly. And um, Queen Elizabeth the first, in honor of her father, had a little flourish at the end of her name in honor of Henry VIII. And so I'm like, I need me a flourish at the end of my name. Oh, so, very good. So, you know, that's that's why. Ah, gotcha. Uh-huh. Uh, people out there are like, are you serious? No, they're probably <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to do that to mine. No. I mean, that's like, that's a really great idea. Yeah. So anyway, so, but yes, go go online, creatingchange.org, and you can still sign up to volunteer Absolutely. and participate, and it's it's, it's going to be a good time. I, look, and I was looking through the various things that are, are going to be happening, and it looks like it's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm really looking forward to it. So yes, it will be. Amazing. Oh my gosh, it's it's a, it's a great thing. Oh my gosh i'm so glad detroit's gonna be you know just boosted with this you know extra vaccine and, it's um, true it's you know. true so um so do come out um so so yeah so that's going on and did we talk about cloverfield yeah last when oh yes you uh-huh. you've seen it yet have you no i haven't so you gotta see it that's something that should be on your list. I'm all. I'm almost caught up. So for those of you who can hear him, yes, that's that's Dan. Um, Sorry, expectorating. That's right. Exactly. That's another gold coin word. Yes. Wow. Spitting phlegm. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> um. And so. Um. So you know our Dan is. Yeah, it was really like... cool because this morning when I was coughing and I didn't cover my. No, I'm just kidding. No. Uh, there was these. Pr- oh, never mind. Nice. Exactly. Nice. Oh. So you know the other thing about creating changes is there's like this whole host of really awesome workshops, right? Yes. Um, and we are lucky enough to have absolutely Anand Kara here with us. Yes. Woohoo! Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and so Anand is uh, um, currently a resident of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. California, California, <laughs> and um, is visiting U of M. He's, he's an alum and um, was just presenting at the San Conference, which is the South Asian Awareness Network Conference. What did, what did you present there? Um, it was a workshop called Trans-Asia with the S and the A in the middle capitalized. Oh. Um, I was co-presenting with um, Jesse Gann, who's a graduate student in American culture here at, the, at uh, Michigan, and also Pooja Gehi, who's um, uh, a lawyer for the Sylvia Rivera Law Project in New York. Excellent. And was that about... Um, trans, it's about South trans stuff in South Asia. No, it was um, it was more of a it was like a, a trans one hundred and one gender one hundred and one kind of thing, but particularly suited for the audience, which was a lot of um, South Asian and some um, some non South Asian um, people who were mostly straight. Some of you, some of whom were LGBT, but not nearly the majority. And um, so it was a great experience because I feel like um, issues of intersectionality often don't get to be pronounced in in really big spaces mm-hmm. um, and so so San was just a wonderful space for that message to get out there that you know one we have trans people in South Asia we have trans and and um, and and uh, queer um, people in in the US who are South Asian so there's South Asian and South Asian American people who are all in this community and um, and it was it was just great because I could tell that for a lot of the people it was the first time that they had really been able to think about mm-hmm. these issues mm-hmm. and people really responded well I think at first people were a little shy and I was like you know you can you can can we say penis yes okay <laughs> yes. well because I, I had to check here because we could say it at the workshop I was like you know it's okay we can say penis in this room you can be comfortable with it and I, I had to check just now we could say it on the radio right but um but we can so penis right um, right. You know, <laughs> right right you know, just, to get, just to get people comfortable with it because you know that that initial reaction when someone says penis. Is yes. you know is to, is to freeze up you know and so if we can't even talk about genitals how are we going to talk about issues and know? so do you right. feel like the crowd was pretty responsive when- uh, yeah it was great people you know once people got warmed up it was really nice to be able to see 
those little the, the, the lights flicker on you know not to be not to be patronizing mm-hmm. but you know when, when you're when you're new to an idea there are those moments and it is it is really nice to see people being able to open up and people who would probably think they'd never thought about it before that's you know, that's so far removed from my life from my understanding of what I'm going to go through but it, but it's nice to be able to see people form those connections. Mm-hmm. And did you find that people went to your session who knew you when you were a student here? That was funny. There were um, there were a few people. Um, several of the organizers of the conference knew me before I was transitioning. Um, but then there were some people who I saw in in the workshop who I'd had classes with, and I didn't. You know, I don't think explicitly. You know, I had never had conversations with these people. Oh, by the way, I'm transitioning. This is my new name. But um, but they figured it out pretty quick. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So like yeah. so, we're, I know you said that the people would seem to respond really well mm-hmm. to it. I mean, yeah. how the people that would actually came to your workshop? Mm-hmm. I mean, what was it? So they had to have some type of interest or some type of right, right. connection. So what was the yeah. majority of the people that were in your audience? So then? the the workshop was tracked. So if you, if you signed up for the work for the con, or so the conference was tracked. Um, so if you signed up for the conference, you you got placed into one of several tracks, and the track that our workshop was on was gender and sexuality. So everybody who went to the gender and sexuality workshops was at our workshop and also a few people from the pop culture workshop I think they didn't have one for that slot mm. um, so all the <clears throat> excuse me so a couple of the um, pop culture uh, people were, were in our workshop there were, I think there were about 80 people total wow. somewhere, somewhere around there so they were already talking about the issue mm-hmm. in, in a sense of a gender right. identity and, mm-hmm. and so it wasn't too surprising like I just went you know went to go talk about you know poverty in in the area or whatever mm-hmm. or um to suddenly now transitioning you know it was right. like a dramatic well change. in some respects because I feel like when we talk about gender a lot of time we're not necessarily we're, we're still talking about man and woman we're not necessarily talking about alternative genders transgender issues um so there was one really great workshop that I really loved that I got to sit in on which was about it was because it was called are we what we eat and it was about the way mm. that food and food culture plays a role in determining gender, gender roles, gender expectations, particularly oh, wow. within South Asian communities. It was a fantastic workshop. Yeah. <clears throat> and so you'll be doing a similar workshop at Creating Change? Totally different. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. Um, at Creating Change, um, I will be co-presenting with um, two amazing people. One, um, Simon Aronoff, who is currently vice president at Rena Communications and um, Lisbeth Melendez-Rivera, who I forget what her new job title is, but she is just a fantastic activist, has been around for a long time, and she does a lot of work about um, anti-oppression trainings, um, privilege awareness, um, things like that. So we're going to be presenting on... Um, oh, oh, let me give you a title. It's called, oh, yes, uh, Combustible Elements, Internal, Internalized Oppression and Privilege Derailing Social Justice Movements. Wow. So that kind of lays it out. That sounds deep. <clears throat> yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Wow, so it's going to be one of those light topics. <laughs> right. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think like you can bring like... food into that one. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So where do M&Ms fit in? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so um, so like, so then what are you hoping to that folks get out of your workshop? Yeah, that one, that one's going to be... It's hard to call right now because I feel like um, people... Some, some people like to talk about privilege when we're within the LGBT community. Some people... Are more in favor, of, you know, queer people are more in favor of talking about other people having privilege and like, oh no, no, we don't have any of that. We're totally cleansed of that. We're pure, you know. We're not oppressing anybody. Nobody right. here has any any power. We're all oppressed, um, and and we lose that voice of agency in there. That voice that I can do something about it. The voice of oh, and I do participate in the system of racism, by the way. Right. Um, right. And so so there's you know the mixed camps there. So I sometimes when we talk about privilege um, within a queer context, there's a lot of 
backlash and there's a lot of defensiveness. So what we're hoping to do is is not get around the defensiveness, but approach it, you know, head on, not confrontationally, but to make people comfortable enough so that they can they can own their stuff. Basically, what I what I would really love is after the workshop if people uh, left the room feeling like you know I was participating in that system. I am. I am still participating in that system of oppression, but I'm aware of it, and I'm going to take steps to 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 work against it, mm-hmm. just to really own participation. So I, I'm still. So how do you get people to not run away scared or feel mm-hmm. guilty? And yeah, the guilt issue is a big thing mm-hmm. too. I think um, actually I saw this um, fantastic presenter uh, Marilyn Wan, who does a lot of um, fat activism, body positive stuff um she's just she's just brilliant and and she had us it was she came to one of my classes when i was in school here and she had us um uh just throw out words that we associate with um with fat people with skinny people and you know and of course the the words that came out were all the stuff that we're used to hearing for people of color for poor people for queer people they're you know they're sexually undesirable they're somehow freaky they're somehow in um out of control of their lives and it's all the same stuff you know for all these oppressed groups we have the same stereotypes And, and and then she said okay now stop did any of us in this room come up with these ideas? No. Mm-hmm. So none of us are directly at fault for this, but we do participate in it and, and we do buy into it. So it's up to each of us to, to stop buying into it. And so I think that kind of, you know, just getting it out there, what people think anyway, and then being able to say, look, it's not, it's not your fault that you think this, but, but you do think this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. something like that hopefully will... So that's a baby step, right? So then what's yeah. the next baby step? <laughs> so like how do we get step. people to do something... So well, the, what to do? What, what do we do? Right. The, the, what we're going to talk about in the workshop is we're going to give um, a few case studies of clear examples of the way that internalized oppression is manifesting as these externalized forms. So, for example, um, I did research over the summer on um, the way that internalized transphobia uh, affects externalized racism among white transgender people. And Say that again. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to break it down. I'll break it down. <laughs> so, so I was looking at, um, and so what I found was that the higher the level of internalized transphobia, so the, the less comfortable people felt with themselves regarding being transgender, um, the more racist they were. As 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 far as my self report went, it, and it was on a survey, so it's not you know like there's no pure way, no best way to measure racism or internalized transphobia. But these were measures that I came up with, um, and I controlled for um, gender identity, I controlled for age, I controlled for uh, economic status, control for a bunch of things, and it was and it was still very statistically significant and very um, clear that the less comfortable they were with themselves, <laughs> less comfortable they were with other people in a, in a reductionist sense. Hmm. hmm. And and that's crossing identities. Right. Right. So so it was mostly white trans people mm-hmm. who were outwardly racist. And people. yeah, and just to, I mean to clarify, it wasn't about saying trans people are really racist. No, 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 no. I don't mean that. Right, no, but just to, just to <laughs> clarify, um, that, but that it was you know overall, overall the racism scores were very, relatively low overall, um, but there but there was enough variation that we could see that the higher racism scores were very strongly correlated with the with the higher internalized transphobia scores. So so, so it's very similar to how we talk about with, with homophobia mm-hmm. that the ones that seem to be screaming the most about homophobia and and the hatred and the um, and um, that they're also sometimes the ones that are also most likely that they hate themselves for being right, gay. Exactly, exactly. But instead, in your situation, mm-hmm. you're linking that the hatred of they of a part of themselves mm-hmm. is coming out in hatred in a different 
totally different way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, against another group, of right? People. Like it, it's an in-group, out-of-group kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, was that across other social identities? Is, did did anything else besides race pop up, like ableism or? Um, I only measured for a race. Okay. Um, but so, but I would love to do more research and to and to really interrogate how all of these identities play with each other and play against each other. Um, because, you know, because everybody experiences oppression in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, so, you know, so I can't go ahead and say that, well, if this worked in this case, then clearly, you know, classism works the right. same it way. It may not be stuff. replicable across right. identities. But I would suspect that, um, you know, that the issues within people may, may manifest in similar ways, that the, the effects of self-hatred and internalized oppression, you know, it, it's really sad. It is really sad, but um, I think that I lost my train of thought. Um, well, I mean, so so what were some solutions that did you come up with? Yeah, any yeah solutions what was the, this? the now what? what so yeah, it? so so the way I took it was that um, it seems like the way we do education around issues of oppression is often single issue. And we often will be like, okay, let's combat transphobia here, let's combat homophobia here, let's combat racism here, and it's very separate. But it seems to me that if we're going to combat them separately, we're we're not going to get, you know, for example, those white trans people in the study to be less racist. Um, unless we're taking a multiple pronged approach, um, a holistic approach to, I think a lot of it is about self love mm-hmm. and understanding yourself because, you know, because not just people of color have race, right? Everybody has race, whether you're, whether you've got, uh, whether you're white or not. And, you know, everybody has every social identity, whether or not you're oppressed by it, it's just less apparent if you've got privilege. So I think that being able to understand ourselves as whole people with all of these things going on will really go a long way um, as far as being able to stop beating up on each other. Oh, this is also fascinating in the sense of, sorry, is um, how, uh, yeah, really, um, that you had measured that the, the more fluent they were on top mm-hmm. of the self-hatred, mm-hmm. the more racist they were. Um, the was that what cl- you were saying? No, already? actually, the, I, so I, I, I controlled for economic class, but it actually didn't prove to be um, a significant predictor in my model. Okay. It's possible that if there were, if I was using a different measure of class, I may have found something. Um, but the way I did it, uh, I, I didn't find anything. Actually, the only um, other significant um, control factors that I found were um, gender identity. Um, the the female to male transsexuals in my in my sample had uh, racism scores and internalized transphobia scores that were about a standard deviation lower. So that's like a whole big chunk lower than the the male to female transsexuals in the study mm. um so that that was significant um age was significant political orientation which we, we, could, we could kind of expect like that. if they're like green party or oh, yeah well, well i asked for um very liberal to very conservative and i get and i had an other category so um so um you know as, as could be expected the people who identified as being more conservative also tended to have higher racism scores <clears throat> so so do you think then you know, talking about just anti-racism work in a vacuum is artificial. I don't think it's artificial, and I don't think it's necessarily counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a lot of great things that come out of anti-racism work that come out of anti-homophobia work, but um, but I but I think we could be maximizing a potential that's that's just waiting um, to be used if we if we take a more holistic approach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, like, no, no, no! I'm just trying to compare, like you know, like okay, so I'm I'm sick, I've got a cold, right? You know, if I just attack just the you know the fever, you mm-hmm. know, does that? Well, yeah, it helps get rid of the fever, but it doesn't get rid of the cold. Right. If I attack the 
you know, the vitamin C to kind of do the whole immune system and maybe zinc or whatever else is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that other thing? It's not Anakin. It is uh, Akin- echinacea. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, you know, if I attack the whole system, yeah. it seems to work. So, mm-hmm. so were you just making yourself a, an example of... The, the entire system of oppression there? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Dan well, is the system of exactly. oppression. Well, that should be pretty easy. Then. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> I am wanting a particular bug out of me. Exactly. <laughs> and I want it out now. <laughs> exactly. Um, so what is the role then? Or what do we... So in anti-racism work, for mm-hmm. example. So what is the role of white people? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to speak for people who have been doing this work for a lot uh-huh, longer than I uh-huh. have, but... I mean, as as far as I can see it, white people in anti-racism work have a huge capacity to be strong, strong allies. Because a lot, I mean, I think that's where the role of ally comes in, where sometimes, um, you know, if, if, if in a particular station, situation racism exists and a white person, for example, isn't willing to hear from a, from a person of color that they're being offensive or that they're being exclusive or that something they're doing is hurting a person of color or people of color um, or has a potential to... They might be more more receptive to hearing it from a white person, and while that is you know still operating within a, um, a modality of racism at that point, that they're mm-hmm. still only with, willing to listen to a white person saying it. It's still you know it's a bridge. It's a it's a step we can take. Um, well, it's it just like um, why P flag is so important. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, they don't. I mean, they're not necessarily gay, mm-hmm. but they are. You know, there to to be able to sp- speak from one straight parent to another straight parent. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. yes, I know what you're going through. Right. I know about those dreams that you had, or mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. your hopes for your child. You know. But do you think that there is a danger of um, taking an ownership of white privilege, for example, mm-hmm. and making? Oh, I know about my white privilege. I know, yeah. you know, like overcompensating for it. Right. So like people who get it intellectually but can't see their own participation in exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a tough call. You know, it's, it's like, you know, if it, if it was easy, if Dan was the problem. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Dan, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, seriously. But yeah, no, no, it, um, I'm not saying it's easy. And right. I'm not, and I definitely do not have all the answers. Sure, sure. And I'm just this young upstart kid, right? But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. So that's great. So, so what other things do you think you expect to run into creating change? What other things are you excited about? Um, and there's, uh, there's this uh, uh, activist academy on the, on next Thursday. Oh which yeah. I think to go to, and there's a whole um, trans youth education thing. Um, which I'm pretty excited about. And I haven't had a chance really to look at the conference book yet because I'm busy with the San conference. Mm-hmm. But I'm really looking forward to all the stuff that's there. There's, I mean, there's just tons and tons of workshops, people from all over, everywhere. And, you know, that's the biggest problem. That's the problem I have with creating change mm. is that there's like they offer like what? Ten sessions, uh, you know, at, at once. Mm-hmm. And I want to go right. to six out of the ten. Right. So now I've got like all the six ones I really, really like. So then I narrow it down to like the four that I have to go to. Mm-hmm. And then I have to go, you know, then I have to narrow it like, OK, could I time it if I go through half of this one and half of that one? <laughs> I mean, this it's really. across the hall. Exactly. So you know? both doors are open and I sit halfway in between. And right. It's just, it's really, that's and, then, and it's not just for a like you know the nine to ten o'clock session it is like the nine to ten the ten to eleven the right. eleven to noon the, even during lunch noon to mm-hmm. one there's several that i want to go to mm-hmm. i mean it's it's a really i mean i'm really grateful for the plenary sessions where there's only yeah. one choice right yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> where i'm like oh and i really want to hear him you know or <laughs> well good you know it. yeah exactly so you know one of the things that i struggle with and i will use me as an example sure. is where when i started working with my white privilege or when i discovered my white privilege mm-hmm. to be honest yeah. with you because i grew up most of my life without even realizing right. that 
that I had any privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started discovering it and started looking at it, one of the things that people kept, t- when I kept trying to explore it, they kept saying, you know, you need to deal with your white guilt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where does the line change <laughs> from privilege to guilt? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, that's such a great thing. And I, um, you know, I grew up pretty uh, upper middle class, so mm-hmm. I had a lot of class privilege. And I, so I had a lot of issues around class guilt as well. So I can, I can resonate with, right. with what you're saying. That, you know, but I still think that being able to have the guilt is still an aspect of that privilege, you know, that like sure. the fact that I, as someone who has really never had to worry about money, um, you know, that I can say, oh, well, you know, my friends are poor and, you know, so I, you know, I'm with them on that, you know. Yeah, that's right, it's, right. It's, it's, it's inauthentic, you know, <laughs> right, because right. I will never really understand what that's like. You know, even if even if um, I personally don't have a career that makes money, you know, doing social justice activism usually isn't that lucrative, <laughs> um, you know, but but I have, you know, class, class carries, right? So I have my parents behind me, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I will never really understand what it is to be working class from a firsthand perspective and so i think i think it relates to what you were saying earlier about allies that you know that's i think that's a situation where we have to own that being an ally doesn't mean being part of that group right right you mm-hmm. know i'm still friend to the group i'm not in that group and Absolutely. i can't speak for mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. exactly it's, it's, it's like empowering men to be um to speak out against sexual violence right right at no point will a man be ahead of of that movement mm-hmm. it is a woman's movement and mm-hmm. there is a particular place and role that men can play in that movement right uh, and it, it, it's the onus of the man to say that um you know to uh, recognize that they're not gonna Mm-hmm. They should not try to own that movement and recognize when they're they're controlling, mm-hmm. you know. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. So I often talk about. So what do you think? Like I often talk about this the difference. Like, um, so are we using inclusive language or politically correct language? Uh-huh. Right, and you know I often say that like okay, politically correct language we use because we don't want to get in trouble, mm-hmm. but inclusive language is we use because we want to include everybody. Right. And I feel like politically correct is just one of the biggest tragedies of the last, you know, two decades. Sure. Where, you know, it started out as this kind of idea that we should be respectful of people and hey, you know, maybe it is a good idea to say African American instead of whatever other words were being used, tossed around, you know, Washington mm-hmm. and wherever else. And then it just got totally co opted and totally ridiculized. Ridiculed yeah. is the mm-hmm. word I'm Ridiculed. Yeah, yeah, right, Ridiculized. Right. Ridiculized. Yeah, Ridiculous. Um and so now, so now we have, and so now, politi- politically correct means being afraid of talking about actual issues right. instead of being respectful mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. actual issues. And you know, you know, I went, went off and I'm talking to groups. I often say, like, let's just give ourselves permission to be unpolished. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. it's okay to screw up. You're going to use the wrong language, yeah. and I'm going to correct you, or I may not correct you, or I'm going to use the wrong language and mm-hmm. you can correct me. Yeah. But this is this is our journey together, right? Yeah. And and we're allowed. Yeah, I feel like that comes up a lot um, with trans issues in particular, mm, right? Because people are so afraid of what if I say she male and they hit and then they uh-huh, hit me, uh-huh. you know? And it comes <laughs> back to this whole this idea of like living in a multicultural context uh-huh. and being comfortable with ambiguity, right? Right. Like we have to be comfortable with ambiguity, and that's that's a root to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Like because people are uncomfortable with with that that they don't fully know or think they fully know, then mm-hmm. then it, it turns out to be some really bad stuff that happens yeah being able to deal with complexity yeah is really hard you know we have so many things that are just done in binaries black white male Mm -hmm. female all Mm -hmm. this stuff that is just it's it's really convenient it's really it's fun it makes our lives a lot easier especially if we're on the privileged side of that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it just totally you know doesn't reflect reality exactly it's our own delusion 
Amazing. Well, I'm excited. I hope your session goes well. On. Thank you. It's at and 9 a.m. on Friday. Awesome. There you go. So Absolutely. Brad, bring your coffee and your notebook. That's right. <laughs> so thanks for laying some social justice down on us. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. And we'll see you in Detroit. Yes, definitely. And you're listening to Closets for Clothes on WCB and FM Ann Arbor. And on the other side, we're going to talk more about social justice, religious freedom, um, with um, an equality writer, someone with SoulForce, uh, Jake Rayton. <laughs> and we'll be right back. <laughs> So 
that's another one of my new favorite songs. Uh, I'm just going to bring you some new music every week. I love okay. the songs you cover. So, so that is a song called Bleeding Love by Leona Lewis. And she won um, like this this game show called The X Factor, which is like oh, American yeah. Idol, but in Britain. Right. So that's very cool. Um, so yeah, so welcome back. You're listening to Closets Over Clothes in WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Very good. Yes. So our next guest um, is uh, Jake Rayton, and uh, he is the founder of the Equality Ride um, uh, that is going across the nation and 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 doing social change. And so, uh, Jake, are you are you there? I am here. Is this Dan? This is. And we also have Gabe with Hi, us. Hi, Jake. Well. This is Gabe. Hi, Gabe. Well, Leona Lewis is fantastic. I would agree yes. with that. Yes, she is. You know, I just saw you in the movies. Did you? I did. I did. Uh, we just showed um, for the Bible tells me so. Oh yeah, it's a great movie, isn't it? Uh, it's absolutely great, and we had a great turnout to go watch it. Good. And it w- it's just a great story. How are your parents? They're very good. They actually were in my old hometown of Mankato, Minnesota, last night and tonight. Actually, it's showing there for the next three nights, and they had 170 people come out and see it there. So it's really just doing fantastically well across the country. And uh, for people who haven't seen it, they should go out and check it out. Absolutely. Say, um, and w- what is this about? Well, the documentary, it's, it follows five families uh, who have gay children, and um, each one is unique in their own way. Uh, we sort of represent the you know, everyday Minnesotan family that turns into activists, but there's also uh, Bishop... Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 there's, there's an everyday Minnesotan family that turns into activists? <laughs> Does Garrison feel, know? We have that feel. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go get arrested for social justice. So, yeah, it's, it's not where, if we're not everyday in that sense. So how many times have you been arrested? <clears throat> oh, probably about 10 times now. Wow. Yeah, and and so how are those jail boys? I mean, oh, oh I'm sorry, stop. never mind. Uh, so and so, what were you arrested for? So well, it's usually um, the, the the actual charge varies. I mean, they don't, there's no such thing as an arrest for civil disobedience. Um, you're usually arrested for trespassing on private property or failure to obey a police order or loitering or something. But all of them are what I would call a crime of conscience, meaning I'm making an act of choice to cross some line that I've been told I shouldn't cross, but I'm doing it on principle because I believe that um, uh, the message that I'm bringing, the message of equality for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people is too important to turn away. Hmm. So for many of the times I've been arrested, it's been at these um, private Christian schools across the country that discriminate against gay people in one way or the other. And we, we spend, you know, go to great lengths to try to uh, work with these schools to get invited to give lectures and give Bible studies, but when they refuse to uh, to allow us that access, we come anyways, because we feel like the message that we bring um, is is too important not to, well, not isn't to bring it. Well, isn't it their right to be able to, to, to preach whatever it is that they believe? Well, I think it's their right constitutionally, but I'm not, uh, I'm not a government official who... Um, for instance, I believe that they have the freedom of religion. I would never want the government to tell them what they can or can't believe, but I'm a private citizen who gets affected by what um, they believe, and I understand that there are gay people at these schools who get affected by what they believe, and and I believe that um, I'm going to exercise my right to free speech and speak out against um, uh, religious uh, intolerance, and that's what I think this is. It's religious intolerance. Yes. So, is this what she wanted to be when you grew up? <laughs> well, um... Five years old. Mommy, I wanted to be a... <laughs> I, I, kind of, actually. I mean, like, I, I definitely feel I got 
the um, confidence to to be a spokesperson for uh, gay and lesbian rights from my parents. My mother always taught me to believe in myself, uh, and when she always believed fully in me. And my father always taught me that uh, justice and, and fairness uh, was an important part of uh, who we are as Americans and who we are really as, as uh, human beings. They're important Christian virtues. And so I, I got from both of them, I think, the real tools to be an activist. And, you know, as you, if you've seen the movie, you can see that, that they also support me in that activism, and they're right there with me on the justice line uh, getting arrested. So, And where did they learn it from? I mean, I mean, it sounds like they instilled this, this sense of activism in you and being who you are and being, and being able to speak out about it. Where did they get it from? Well, my father was a 60s... Um, uh, a 60s anti-war protester, conscientious objector to the Vietnam War, um, helped to organize all the Lutheran colleges across the country against the Vietnam War in what was uh, called the National Moratorium for Peace. But I think their real activism for gay rights came out of their understanding about what it means to be a parent. They understand that being a parent is unconditional love for their child, and that requires the parent of a gay child to work to make the society that in which we all live more fair uh, for their child. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a sad fact that in most states today, someone who's gay can be fired from a job simply because they're gay. In most states, they, gay people can't get married. They can't serve in the military. But we really are second-class citizens in so many ways today that um, there is a lot of work to be done for people who care about gay rights and for parents who have gay children. Um, it, I think it's a logical step for them to be gay activists. Mm-hmm. So tell us what what has most surprised you as as you going to these very conservative christian um colleges and camps and and headquarters what what are you finding that's really that you didn't expect well i think the most surprising thing is that uh schools will welcome the conversation i think that my challenge to the listeners of your radio program would be to allow yourself to be surprised by the ability of any person even the most conservative among them to change on this issue uh, you know we have visited there's about 200 schools in the country that uh, colleges in the country that discriminate against gay people in one way or the other and only uh, 200 yeah about 200 whoa i was gonna say wow I know a lot of people are kind of struck by that number, but these are Christian schools that have various policies, some from saying you simply can't be openly gay to some saying you can't have a boyfriend, some saying um, even go so far as to say you can't advocate for gay rights. So their policies really vary, but they all discriminate against gay people and and straight allies even in in some regard or or another. And so many people believed that when I thought up this idea of the equality right of going to these schools and talking about gay rights and, and sending out a message that God loves everybody just as we are, uh, that the schools would just summarily say no, and, and some, in fact, did. But most didn't. And that's the real story of the equality ride, that most schools allowed us to come on their campuses to give lectures and hold Bible studies and have time and fellowship with students. And um, I think it has had an incredible impact in schools across the country. The gay-straight alliances have formed. Schools have, students have become activists who never thought they'd be activists. 
that the power of social change is real, and we, you just have to believe in your own ability to create it. And so I think the most surprising thing is how much a small group of committed people can actually do to affect change in America. And those listening, um, I would encourage them to believe in their own ability to do that. If there is something that's wrong and injustice in their community, uh, work and organize against it, and you would be surprised by how effective you can be in changing it. So, so a lot of times, you know, I'll have students who ask me, you know, I was raised Catholic, mm-hmm. and a lot of students ask me, like, how did you resolve your faith and your sexuality? Right. Uh, how do you answer that? Like, how do you, what do you say? Well, actually, I'm very thankful I was, re- I was born Lutheran because Martin Luther, uh, Uh, taught us that we are, it's the priesthood of all believers, meaning we all have direct access to the Bible. It was the great Reformation where he said to the Catholic Church, you don't need to go through a pastor or a pope in order to get access to Christ. You have direct access to Christ. You can interpret the Bible. And he put the Bible into the hands of the people. And, And so that's how I... Uh, arrive at the fact that I know God loves me, because I don't need a pastor or a bishop uh, to tell me that. I know that in my own heart to be true, and I know that from, from the reading of the Bible that I'm, that I'm able to uh, uh, come at on my own. Um, I'm a divinity student right now at Harvard Divinity School, so I spend a lot of time reading the Bible, and I'm surprised. I'm surprised by the people who read the Bible and come out with the conclusion that God would call for the rejection of the gay and lesbian person, that God would close the kingdom of heaven to the gay and lesbian person. That, to me, is surprising, because the Bible, to me, is, is as a Christian at least, is the story of Jesus Christ. And Christ, in the Gospels and in Paul's letters, is a figure who comes to expand the kingdom and to to um, teach us two great, the great commandment, which is to love God with our heart, mind, and soul, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And in loving our neighbor as ourself, he says, what you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. So when you don't feed a hungry person, and you don't clothe a naked person, and you don't visit somebody in jail, when you don't do that, you're not doing that to the Savior. And so to me, the message of Christ is a message of liberation, it's a message of freedom, it's a message of salvation, and those who make it into a damning message and a message of fear and hatred, to me, they don't, they, they don't understand the Bible as I understand it. And so I'm very happy to debate someone as to who Jesus is, what the role of the Bible should be uh, within the social setting and injustice of America today, and... Um, you know, people who read it otherwise, they, they have that right, I guess. Uh, you can read the Bible as this terrifying text, and there's plenty of verses that support that. But, you know, we don't want to stone an insolent child, and just as we wouldn't stone an insolent child, why in the world would you condemn a gay person mm-hmm. to hell um, after, after knowing that, A, gay people don't choose it and they can't change it? It's who they are. It's part of who they were created to be. It, it's just, it's a, to me, an inaccurate reading of the text. So, so then... And, you know, to, to me, that sounds like, of course. I mean, of course, Jake, what, what you're talking about is absolutely um, the the interpretation of what it should be. I mean, and, and but yet, I, I'm surprised that these other folks are coming to a different conclusion. Well, I mean, the, you know, we live in a world now where fundamentalism is on the rise. 
fundamentalism wasn't, by the way, the way it has always been. There's sort of this preconceived notion that fundamentalism has always been there, that this notion that the Bible is literally true. That is really a product of the 19th century. And it's a product that's a result of the biblical response to modernity, when people started to say, oh, well, Darwin talks about evolution, and, and so, uh, you know, the Earth isn't 6,000 years old, it's actually billions of years old, and, oh, um, we, we've, come, we've come to understand that, you know, the, the book of Genesis and Leviticus and Exodus weren't written by Moses, they were actually written over a series of many years by different people. When, when biblical scholarship started to pull apart the Bible, that's when there was this conservative, conservative fundamentalist response that said, these are the fundamentals that must be true. And that has transformed itself into a terrifying reading of the text where everything has to be literally true. And it becomes actually an in, a completely inconsistent way of looking at the Bible because there are inconsistencies within the Bible. But there are also horrible, horrible things in the Bible that nobody would want to hold to be true. And just, if, if you just pick up and read the book of Joshua... And, and ask yourself, is, and is this a loving God as we know God today? Would God, you know, kill the uh, innocent children of Jericho? Well, of course he wouldn't. Right. But, but, you know, fundamentalists, in order for their um, flawed theology to be true, they have to say yes. And so um, it's, it's, it's a weird product that is, that is modern in the sense that it's a response to modernity, and I think it's the growing pains of the faith. I think we will grow out of this fundamentalism as we learn to accept our faith and accept the scientific truths that are also present with us today. But, but how is that going to happen? I mean, it seems like, it's, like that'll never happen. <laughs> Well, I think it has to happen. I think science is going to have to win out in the end. We can't continually uh, turn a blind eye to truth as we know it. We can't ignore the fact that all scientific evidence points to a, a, a much older Earth, whether it be geology or astrology or physics. Any of the sciences today uh, depend upon an understanding that the Earth is 15 billion years old. And that just, the intellectual weight of that argument is going to eventually prevail. It has to. And in the same sense, the intellectual weight of the argument that God loves gay people exactly as they are will also prevail. And, and I think that's going to come even sooner because there are people like you and me who have no choice but to speak that truth. We, our only choice is to go back into the closet and suffer on a daily basis with these feelings that we cannot get rid of or to accept ourselves as we are. Faced with that choice, 99% of people will love and accept themselves as they are, and that will be a driving force, a train, really, that will push society forward. You know, there's not, there's not that vested notion from the Christian conservative to hold their bigoted position that, that drives them every day. There is a notion, and it is our feelings, it is our, it is our emotions, it is our love for the people that uh, our boyfriends and our girlfriends are, you know, it's our desire to get married. It's all these things that will really push this argument forward. And so I think that this, this movement is changing quickly and fast, and I think it's only going to keep getting faster. You know, and I think that uh, on, on campuses like University of Michigan, where we are, mm -hmm. um, and, um, and, and Eastern Michigan and WCC <laughs> and, and all these other places, I think that the, the time is ripe for this type of critical, deep conversation about about who we are as people of faith and, and of people of uh, in our sexual orientations and gender identity. I think it's ripe for it. 
I believe it is too. I also believe the time is right, particularly for college students, to stop being apologetic or forgiving in the sense of saying, well, let's agree to disagree on this issue. They have to start saying, I want nothing less than my full and equal rights, and that includes the right to get married, not a civil union, because mm-hmm. marriage is not the same as a civil union, and to start demanding that unabashedly. I do a lot of work in politics, for instance. I work to elect, uh, I'm from Minnesota, and I work on uh, different congressional races. I'm also working for a guy named Al Franken who's running for the United States Senate. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. Trying to get him elected. But, no, Al Franken supports marriage. My former high school teacher, who's now a congressman from southern Minnesota, Tim Walls, supports marriage. I will refuse to work for, at this point, any candidate who does not support my right to get married. There are enough good candidates out there who support marriage equality, who are in tough fights, and we as gay and lesbian community ought to put our energy into those people. And we ought to say to people who don't support marriage, you're not going to get any more of my money, you're not going to get any more of my time. And that will change the political scene real quick, I believe. So we've got to start being real forceful because that's ex- – and, and, that, and when we do that, we're taking a lesson out of the civil rights movement, by the way. The very first speech Dr. King gave in launching what became the modern civil rights movement in the 60s, he actually gave it 1953 at the, at the launch of the Montgomery bus, bus boycott. He said, if we're wrong on this issue, God Almighty is wrong. He put it in terms that were clear and, and you know, couldn't be confused. We as a gay movement are slow to make such radical statements. It's time we start saying, if we're wrong, God is wrong. If we're wrong, the Constitution of the United States is meaningless. We've got to start putting this in terms of what full equality actually means. We have to believe that we're deserving of that. We have to believe we are deserving of being full and equal members of, of the family of God. We, we, almost, we almost, I think, have our own internal homophobia to overcome to get to that point, but I want to see the gay community get there because the sooner we do, the much sooner we're going to see the changes that we all want to see happen in society. Amazing. And this is this is radical and this is groundbreaking. So and you know, oftentimes when people come on onto the show, activists and and people who do social justice, we ask, you know, where do you get your energy? What do you do to to step away um, to renew yourself? Well, I got a lot of good friends. <laughs> uh, I date. I, I'm just started. I just started dating a guy uh, from New York. Actually, he's a oh, well, wait very, a yet very nice and attractive uh, uh, young man. He's oh. an actor. And wow, anyways, an actor. Are you dating Lance Bass? Yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I don't think Lance is an actor. Oh, I'm pretty sure he's a bad actor. This is true. Mm. That'd be a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> no, but. But, no, I, I, so, you know, you have a good social life. But I also, to me, it's not about needing a break from this. I get such a high off of um, seeking to right wrongs and to, to end injustice. It just, to me, it, it's, it's a meaningful, purposeful life that I find incredibly rewarding. And um, Well, I think you especially find it rewarding when you have successes. I mean, it's, it sounds, I mean, do you feel you've had successes at each of these um, uh, universities that you've, you've gone to? And Without seen, question. Yeah. You know, we had a long day right there in Calvin College in uh, Michigan. But let me tell you, I guess we got about five more minutes left. Let me tell you the story of how it started. Okay. And that will tell you a bit about the successes we had. Right. I was out at a gay bar on a Friday night in Chicago. I did undergraduate work at Northwestern. 
And I was at the end of a long week, and, and there was this attractive young man across the way, and I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go say hi. So I went over and mustered up the courage to introduce myself to a stranger, and I put up my hand, and I said, hi, I'm Jacob Rayton. I, I go to a Northwestern. Uh, uh, what's your name? And he said, you know, I'm, my name is Evan. I go to, um, I go to Wheaton College, and um, um, I'm... Uh, I'm a student there, and I had just read that week that Wheaton had, for the first time, allowed dancing on their campus, and I knew they were wow. a very conservative Christian school, and so Billy Graham went, and I figured if they just started to allow dancing, that they certainly wouldn't allow gay dancing. <laughs> yeah, right, school. right, yeah. That's so so I said, wow, you go to Wheaton, that must be hard to be gay there, tell me about that, what is that like? And he said, well, you know, I can't come out as gay, if I came out, I could be kicked out of the school. And I was visibly taken aback by this, and I said, gee, that sounds like a horrible policy. I work with this group, Soul Force. Maybe we could try to change that policy. And he looked me in the eye and he said, actually, I think it's a good policy. I think being gay is a sin. Wow. You know, so here I am talking to a kid who's my age who thinks it's a sin to be gay. And it's clear to me in that instant that he was raised in a home and in a society and in a church that was totally different than mine, that had taught him to hate himself. And that, to me, represented a problem in America that needed to be solved. And I said to him then, I said, I'm going to bring some people to your school to bring a different message, I promise you. And he said, well, you're not going to get within 10 feet of the school, you'll get arrested. I said, I don't care about that, I'm coming. And so I went and called Mel White, who's the head of Soul Force, and I said, this is what happened last night. I met this person. We've got to bring people to his school. This is a horrible policy. And together we thought up this thing called the Equality Ride that would be inspired by the Freedom Rides of the 60s and go across America to these sorts of schools. And so this young man thought we wouldn't get within 10 feet of his school without getting arrested. In fact, we had two full days at Wheaton College. We were the first openly gay speakers in the history of Wheaton College, which is over 150 years old. We had a lecture, which over 1,000 students came to. We had Bible studies. I met with the president of the college. I met with the student body president. They had school newspaper articles. Wheaton College talked about this issue in a way they had never talked about this history in their school's history, uh, talked about this issue in their school's history. And so... That, to me, represents a huge success because I believe the truth of this issue is, inf- is infectious, that when we simply merely have the conversation and we, we have it with honest hearts, that good-intentioned people who come to this conversation from the conservative side will see that truth and accept it. And I believe that happened at Wheaton, and I believe it happened at schools across the country. And so... That, to me, is the success of the Equality Ride. That's, to me, the success of social activism. you just got to get out there, believe what you're saying is true, believe that God is on your side, and the rest will take care of itself. But isn't there also – absolutely, I totally agree with that. Um, but there's also uh, an ability that you need to listen to where, those other, where the other folks are sure. to allow that conversation rather than going in very militantly – you know, say, nope, this is how it is, you have to take my side, but you also have to have that dialogue. So there's, that definitely, they don't... there's definitely dialogue, and there's, there's definitely different types of, you know, prejudices that people have. There's the ick factor, they can't imagine two men or two women together. There's different ways that people, different biblical hurdles they have to overcome. Some people, the biblical hurdle is this literalism, and they have these six Bible verses that they're, you know, hung on to as though it's a sinking ship, and if they let go that their faith will, you know, sink to the bottom of the ocean. There's 
the what I call the Catholic notion, which is the larger man-woman dichotomy in the Bible, whether it be Adam and Eve or Abraham and Sarah, on on down the line, that it's a man and a woman, and that it just doesn't make sense for uh, two men or two women, and there's no real biblical precedent for that. They'll say, even though I think Ruth and Naomi and 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 David and um, Jonathan are exceptions to that rule, but um, so there's there's certainly different different places that you have to address, but I think that the whole the general point is that um, there is a a core truth that you have to have inside yourself. I'm a child of God. I am loved as I am without reservation. I am deserving of full and equal rights in this country. I'm an equal American citizen. I am currently treated as a second-class citizen, and that treatment needs to end. These certain general principles, when you when you believe them fully, and you you don't back down in your articulation of them, I think that there is a truth that will will spread across the country like wildfire, and and change will come. So absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we're just talking to Jake Rayton, So Force Equality Ride. Um, learn more about it online. EqualityRide.com. Uh, Are you going to be doing any in 2008? There will be another in 2008. I actually haven't led one since 2006. There was one. There was only one bus in 2006. There was two buses in 2007 that went across the country in different directions, and there'll be a, a big bus that'll go for probably two months across the Deep South in 2008, and people can apply in just about a month or so at EqualityRide.com. Excellent. Thanks so much, Jacob. And, and, we'll, and go see For the Bible Tells Me So. Yes. Well, thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, Jake. Bye-bye. All right, folks. We'll see you next week. Be good to each other. And actually, we won't be seeing you next week. No, I'll be creating change. You'll be creating change. But next week, make sure you start saving your pennies because it's fundraiser time. Yay! So we'll see you. I'll, you'll see uh, Gabe in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Closets Are For Clothes every Wednesday night, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor 88.3. You can contact us by calling 734-763-3500 or writing to 530-SAB Ann Arbor, Michigan 48109. And don't forget our new email address, wcbncloisets at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed are solely those of the speaker and are not the opinions of WCBN or their licensees, the regents of the University of Michigan. For Dan Burns and engineer Alex Belhage, I'm Gabe Javier. Remember, be yourself because you don't get to be anyone else. Hello, you're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Rachel, and this is my show, Who's That Girl? The freeform show that highlights music made by women.